welcome to the Make It A Great Day movement. We are here to help make your day great, help you decide to make it a great day, and to make suicide a thing of the past. This is the Suicide Prevention Show, and we're about to show you some new moves. We're going to move from where we were to where we're coming next. And here's the deal. Our next speaker is Natasha Tordovic-Cohen. And Natasha is just a delight. But we're going to be talking about this really, really big topic for me. Because some of you don't know this. Aha, there I am. I popped into the middle of Natasha's face. Here we go. So I'm a stress management consultant. And no one wanted to talk about stress. And stress is what most people claim that they are experiencing now. My friend Karen says this is the worldwide stress test that we're in. So we're going to be talking about it, and we've got some things that just might surprise you. So Natasha's popped in to join me, so we're going to pop it open here. Go ahead and unmute yourself, and we're going to get started. Hey, Jackie, awesome to be here with you. It's phenomenal to be following Scott. I love Scott. I know you, do. you have an all-star team today. I do. Um, the people like you who have shown up and been so incredibly generous with your time and your talent and the gifts that you have given, I'm going to call them your treasure. You know, this is the most amazing community. And what it does for me is help me trust that this is a problem we can solve. This is a tide that we can turn. And you all being here is just make it so much easier for me to keep going. So I appreciate you so much, just like I appreciate everyone who is on this listening to us, people who are going to listen to the recording. Yeah. So wave to the audience. Okay. Hi, everyone. Hi, audience. <laughs> so you get to give direction. We are going from the world according to Scott to the world according to Natasha. But, you know, when you gave me your topic and you was like a case study, a military case, not that there's any stress in the military. No, not at all. <laughs> all right. So I'm just going to ask if you are on the chat and you are a military person, would you just digitally raise your hand? Because being an army brat coming into the work that I do now, my pathway into this was through working with veterans. And mm -hmm. I realized very quickly that that was not a good place for me to try to do work. Um, being an army man's daughter did not equip me to be in the helping mode in that arena. And I was um, sort of unaware that what that journey had prepared me for is what I'm doing now. For all of you all who are military or supporting military, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for everything you do. So Natasha, take us on a journey into this case. How the heck did you end up doing a military case study? Who knows? <laughs> I mean, wait a minute. Yeah, I'm an army brat, but you're not. No, no, not at all. Um, actually, it's really interesting, Jackie. As you know, uh, my husband and I delivered these 
things we called spiral dynamics trainings all over the world. We've been doing it for over 20 years together. Um, we were on, I don't know, five different continents and 15 different countries. I mean, we did Russia, Italy, South Africa, Latin America, um, UK, uh, Australia. We were just all over the world. And it was just really fantastic. And, you know, one day we were doing a program and I live in Santa Barbara, California, and uh, some military folks came. And, you know, occasionally they do. We get police, we got government, we had entrepreneurs, we had coaches, consultants, and they're trying to figure out the nature of human nature. And these guys had come in and, you know, I mean, this was like Iraq-Afghanistan wartime, right? Okay. And uh, yeah, you know, so I mean, it was, it, it's tense and they're trying to figure out these super thorny problems and the, the hospitals were in the news and the treatment of vets coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq was not the best. Mm -hmm. And what they wanted to do, their mission um, and um, the uh, general at the time said, we need to restore trust in the military. Ooh, big deal. Yeah, yeah, really big deal. So they put together a task force. Um, our team and their team came together and we're trying to figure out how do we do this? And we've got some really unique tools that reveal this nature of human nature thing. And also what is happening in terms of change and change readiness and resilience and stress and all of that. So they wanted to use our assessments and we wanted to make a difference. And it was kind of going back and forth. And um, um, they decided they would use our tools. And gosh, we probably did assessments um, on our tools for roughly 5,000 in army medical. Okay. So, you know, this is on bases around the world, right? So there's military, then there's army medical. <laughs> okay. So you were specifically army medical. This is specifically army medical. Exactly. Right. So 5,000 in a very narrow niche, that's statistically significant. It was... It was really sobering um, because one of the things that we found was, I mean, we have numbers from around the world, right? These tools are translated into like a dozen different languages. And we've got businesses from C-suite to shop floor. And we had, we could see there were particular norms mm -hmm. and the norms in terms of stress. When we saw Army Medical, it was about seven to 10 times higher than the normal civilian population. Okay, so now we know when you're talking high stress, we're not talking 7% higher. We're talking seven times. Higher. Yeah, we are talking, so we're talking a range where we see evidence of people being disrupted disrupted to the point where they can't function typically mm -hmm. in a civilian population where we're seeing um, and we had seen uh, people with some of those stress levels admitted to hospital on suicide watch. 
um, on meds, mm -hmm. um, just completely unable to do their job. So they said to us, look, we've got this really tough problem, which is suicide, right? And I mean, that's, this is the theme of your show. It's the theme of what's been going on in military for uh, a couple of decades now. And we, I mean, we didn't have evidence that the high stress equaled suicide. So that's what you all were looking for is, is there a correlation here? Well, we wanted to know. We didn't know if there was or wasn't. We'd seen some evidence that appeared as though it might be linked, but we weren't sure. Because mm -hmm. you've got to do the research. You've got to gather the data. You've got to be really rigorous about making a conclusion about something. Just because mm -hmm. you see it doesn't mean it's there. Mm -hmm. So we set out to research this because we wanted to know if those high stress scores so disruption and um, uh, behavior that isn't the norm for someone doesn't automatically equate to suicide, as you know. Mm -hmm. Right. right? Okay. So we set out on a study. We gathered probably about 50, 60 cases of people who had this high stress score. We worked with a brilliant psychologist, a clinical psychologist by the name of Chuck Jones. Amazing, amazing guy. And what we did was we did a correlation study with um, another tool, which was, and I forget what its name, general affective style. I don't remember what it, what its name was. It was like GAF something, right? But that was a tool that said whether suicide was going to happen or not. And yeah. we saw this absolutely amazing result, which was super high stress, tendency for suicide, markers for suicide, and they weren't meeting. I was like, wait, what do you mean? Because you'd figure high stress, I can't take it anymore, I'm done, I'm on the verge of cracking, should be related to suicide. And what we found was it wasn't. Ooh. So we're scratching our heads trying to figure out how does, and, and it wasn't even, you know, like eh, kind of loosely correlated. There wasn't a correlation at all. It was actually in the negatives. So it was an upside down correlation. Yeah, like it's like high stress, but no, right? So we're scratching our heads, scratching our heads. And then it dawned on us, just because you have high stress, if you are resourceful, if you have skills, if you've got, let's say, mindset training, if you're able to self-soothe, if you're able to uh, manage your own emotional state, listen to your own internal dialogue, uh, work in a resourceful way, bring yourself down, calm down, meditate, whatever your tools are, the more resourceful you were, despite the high stress scores, the less likely it was going to be related to suicide. That makes sense. Right? It didn't at the time. It took us a while to figure it out. <laughs> it 
always make sense on the other side of it, right? It's like hindsight. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, so what came next? I mean, you're looking at this and you're going, okay, so there's no correlation here. And the problem you were looking at solving is military suicide. Yes. What the problem we were looking at solving was whether the tool could predict suicide. The problem we were actually solving was trust in the military. Ah, there you go. Okay. So the idea came when they started seeing these high stress scores and needing to figure out how to bring some of this down because that was a level of stress that most people can't really tolerate for long term. Okay, that makes they, sense. They just, they were like, how do we deal with this? Mm -hmm. And one of the really amazing cases, I don't know if you remember the Fort Hood shooting? Yes. Right. And so uh, this happened, this was going on for a little while after the Fort Hood shooting, um, but the commander of that, uh, of Fort Hood, um, brought the team to Fort Hood to work on trust, right? He was, he was having to deal with media. He was having to deal with just broken hearted community. He was trying to figure out whether or not he was going to get demoted. He was dealing with his own gremlins, yeah. right? I mean, that was a horrific situation to be in. Mm -hmm. And so the team delivered the program, they did the assessments, and they worked on the base with him, with his leadership team, with the folks on the base, and it made a massive difference. And so much of a difference that he ended up getting promoted. <laughs> because he solved the problem. Because he was solving the problems there, because with trust comes cohesion, comes relationship, come the relationships where people turn to one another, support one another, open their hearts to one another, and get back into relationship. Cool. All right. I've been taking people on a journey. So the ability to heal the ability to work through change. I know these are the two things that are the hallmark of the work you have done for a long time. But I'm going to take people in a way back machine. We're going to go way back. Way back before you spent 15 years traveling around the world with Spiral Dynamics and, and your husband. Way back. What was it about your world that pulled you in that direction? Oh my gosh. You know, that's a really great question, Jackie. You know, I have asked myself that often. Um, first, I come from a country that no longer exists. Whoa. <laughs> okay. So I was about three years old when I came to this country. <laughs> um, my parents were born in the former Yugoslavia. They were apolitical, didn't want anything to do with the communist regime. Uh, my father got it snuck out of the country when it was much easier to sneak out. <laughs> got a boat, crossed the world, 
because he had a job at Colorado State University because he was one of these really brilliant mathematical minds. Uh And they knew that if they stayed there, there wasn't a future. Mm -hmm. Um, And then about nine months later, my mom followed. Um, So there was this whole cultural difference between them and the world I found myself in. So what was happening out there was different from what was happening in our home and how they were interpreting the out there. So I was kind of in these two different cultures simultaneously trying to translate. Yeah, and I'm thinking that was true in Yugoslavia and it was true in Colorado. And then we moved to Quebec, Canada. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) and that was an adventure because I don't know if uh, you're familiar with politics in Quebec there's no reason you would be but there was this whole English versus French thing going Ah. right so then we're in this whole other culture that is adjacent to but different from American culture Mm -hmm. so we've got the English Canadian culture and the French Canadian culture and then they're trying to separate from Quebec Uh, Quebec from Canada, right? So I lived through the separatist movement. Wow. Okay. So you have been in the midst of countrywide, continent-wide shift (laughs) since you were born. It, now that you say that, yes. (laughs) Okay. So that kind of dynamic explains why this would be a natural field of study because you are naturally gifted in this dynamic of change. And not everyone navigates change well. You don't just navigate it, you can analyze it. Yeah, yeah. And that's probably exactly what took me to this body of work and these tools. Um, Because my... My original dream when I was a youngster, I wanted to be in fashion. <laughs> so I, I ended up in fashion. I um, was a stylist merchandiser. I was running a division. My job was to have my finger on the pulse of what people were going to want to buy a year and a half before they were going to buy it. Whoa. Okay. Say a year and a half, you had to figure out what people were going to buy a year and a half before they bought it? Yeah, I had to figure out what they were, what colors they wanted, what styles they wanted, and make sure that I put it there in time for them uh, to have it on the shelves in the stores. And a lot of my colleagues were hitting maybe 10% in their lines. I was hitting 60, 65, 70%. Mm-hmm. I can believe that. And then NAFTA happened. <laughs> Uh-oh. What did that do for your business? <laughs> there was, you know, literally overnight, there was no more industry. The industry was gone. It was like a ghost town. Wow. Okay. So, and I, I, I mean, this, that's what happened in the U.S. as well. The textile mills shut down. Got it. Right. Okay. Everything was offshored to China. Um, it just it just disappeared. So I had to recreate myself. Okay. So 
what happened next because going from fashion, there's still a gap here for me. <laughs> I don't care how good you were predicting the behavior of consumers. Yeah, there's still this, what, what that's, happened? But that's, yeah, I mean, I was struggling, Jackie. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, and then I read this weird book um, and I won't mention the guy, but everybody knows him. Um, and I ended up doing this NLP training stuff. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> and just got into it really heavy. And then in the world of NLP, the stuff that I'm working on now was considered, quote, values. Right. And it was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And, you know, I did my MBA and I came back and I was like, I really want to work with change. I want to work with the transformation. I want to work with this change readiness and resilience and, and, and all of that. And by that time, my husband's book, Spiral Dynamics, had come out. Um, I read it. It was like, wow, this is nothing like what I thought this stuff was about. I need to get trained. And I went to Texas and I, it was like one of those love at first sight things. And yeah. I mean, I didn't believe it. Right. But I mean, but look, Jackie, my horoscope before I went said, you're going to meet your husband. And then I walked in the room. I looked around, went, mm, no, I'm not here. Horoscope <laughs> wrong. Yeah. So when you read the book Spiral Dynamics, this man you had never met before, he wasn't your husband then. He wasn't my husband then, but you know, something resonated. Mm -hmm. and it was a moment of this all makes sense, but I felt seen and understood in a way I'd never felt before. There you go. That's a big deal. Buy a book. Buy a book. <laughs> All right, so you, you were seen and understood in a book. Yeah. That's pretty compelling. Yeah, and got to the program, and he was amazing, and there was just that, like, back and forth and fun, and, you know, I mean, we were just having a blast, but there is that, there is that deeper connection. Mm. And very shortly after that, I was invited to join the company, um, and we were inseparable and we spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week together. Um, and I mean, we were not more than 10, 15, 20 feet apart. <laughs> <laughs> the wonderful story of that, because you came from these places of separation, you know, by, by, conflict by culture you know and you ended up with such a wonderful partnership and what you all did together was amazing so i wanted to break it down because you were working at a very high level lots and lots of times and i know you created something that makes it very digestible and usable and so it just popped up in the chat so this change playbook you know what what is so good about a change playbook and how would you recommend someone use it? Oh my gosh, if I'd only had it so many times. <laughs> so there are eight ingredients that if you don't have all eight in place, getting from here to there, wherever there is, 
it may very well be uncertain and a rocky journey. Okay. So for those of us who occasionally like to cook or bake, we know that you got to have all the ingredients or it's not a recipe. So this is a recipe book for change. This uh -huh. is a recipe book for life. Aha. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, all right. So change and life are kind of synonymous because I think humans are the only creature that don't believe that. You know, I've never seen a tree that says, you know, this tall, yeah, I'm good. I'm not growing anymore. Yeah. Humans, on the other hand, limit ourselves and, and hold ourselves and think that, that change doesn't happen. Everything else in nature, the whole purpose of life is to expand and grow. That's it. So yeah, I see change in life. I think it's a great, thank you. All right. So this is really key for me because as you know, my whole thing is make it a great day. So let's take this and say, hey, what if you had a great recipe to make it a great day? So now take us on the cakewalk. <laughs> I mean, you don't, I, I know that everyone can get it. You all can just go click that link and download it. And for those listening on the podcast, the link is bit.ly, bit.ly forward slash change play book. Super simple. Business lesson 101. If you're going to have a website that you have to read out loud on the radio or on a podcast, make sure it's simple words that are easy to speak and easy to spell. For someone who has a business called the Woman Entrepreneur, you know, I've got the Woman Entrepreneur Show, the Woman Entrepreneur Network, and the Woman Entrepreneur, yeah. Entrepreneur is not easy to spell. It Don't is. do that. So, so yeah, so cool. And it's, with a capital C and a capital P. If oh, you're does it have to have the capitals in there? Yep, and it's got to have the capital C and the capital P. Capital C for change, capital P for playbook. Ah, uh, well, there you go. Details matter. They do. <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, on a link, if it's on the right side of that slash bar, it could be, not always, but it could be case sensitive. So copying is better than typing. Anyway. So there we go. Now that we've handled all of the tech in the background, and that's been my theme this week with the tech tangle tango, um, and we're not going there because we could just turn this whole show around and it would not be pretty. So, all right, I want to change my attitude about technology. What do I do? You make it a great day. <laughs> you go, I'm looking forward to learning something new. <laughs> The, the joke in the background is that Monday, when my first promotion started for the show, my landing page was not communicating with my CRM. Actually, my landing page was not communicating with itself on Monday, meaning people were registering, but it wasn't taking them to the thank you page. It wasn't taking them where they could get the information, they could get the, the itinerary, the schedule. So that was Monday, got that fixed on Tuesday. I became my own tech person. I was very proud of myself. I actually changed an API on a landing page and I couldn't spell API before. So <laughs> very pleased. And then everything was working perfectly up until I found out yesterday that apparently on Thursday, something broke 
without anybody touching anything. And it stopped communicating from the landing page to the CRM, to the customer relationship management software. So while people were getting registered and they were getting the thank you page, they were not getting into the CRM. So they were not getting the emails that said, here's your link. So yesterday I was doing all the things that we're not supposed to have to do in this day and age. I was manually putting out emails to people who had registered. Oh my you gosh, know, it, Jackie. It's amazing what you can do when you're motivated. So change, you know, we deal with it all the time. My plan for the week got changed. Yeah. <laughs> well, so it's not your fault. Well, of course not. It's not. And this is what I think. I think this week we have been hit by six planets in retrograde. I don't know if I believe it or not. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. My keyboard stopped working. I plugged in a new keyboard. It wouldn't work. I was in the middle of a lawyer problem, a tech problem, phone calls. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Mercury in retrograde <laughs> plus all the other planets. <sighs> all right. So thank you all for tolerating our tech rant. <laughs> when it comes to change and it comes to navigating change and being able to do it with some level of grace, what's the first step? All right. So in our approach, in our model, um, there are two sides of it. One is the world outside. So the world outside is um, the people you know, uh, political events, um, ecological events, the things you can't control. And they are shifting, they're moving. And what I did not have my finger on the pulse of when I was in fashion was the political climate. Uh, lumberjacks in Canada were screaming about this thing called NAFTA. Well, I was busy serving customers. And who cares about the lumberjacks? What did they know? I was busy. I had fabric and I had fashion and I had contracts and I had deliverables and I had to get those done. Well, the lumberjacks were right. They had their finger on that pulse. Ah. You have to notice the thing that we are most blind to, which is our environmental-social conditions, our context, the shifts and the changes that we as goldfish in our fishbowl are naturally blind to. Oh, got it. Now that's really reassuring. We were talking about blind spots, you know, with Scott. So there are things we're naturally blind to. And so developing awareness of what's happening, but we're not aware of it. Well, I guess first you have to believe there's stuff happening that you're not aware of. Now, given the current cultural conditions that we are all living in, I think it's pretty easy to believe that there are things happening that we're not aware of. I mean, right now, our, everyone is having a global experience, a unified global experience. Of a few. <laughs> yeah, we cannot even see. So it's the first time in history that we are now dealing with something that is globally happening. And so the beauty of this conversation is it's easier to accept now. It's easier to accept that I've got my goldfish blind spots. 
right now that I've accepted that they exist, where do you go to find out what they are? I mean, what's the next step? Well, uh, you know, it takes a while to learn how to see that context. Um, when we had our students after training do reports on their clients, we noticed how deep these blind spots are. So we're working at these intersections of multiple cognitive biases, which was really fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, and some of it is you've got diverse friends, diverse sources of information, diverse news, and you're just paying attention to something that as soon as your brain is going, no, that's not possible. You got to lean into it and go, well, is it? Get curious. Get curious. And, uh, try to take the position of others and expand the sources of where we're getting information. Had we been paying attention in the fashion business to the lumberjacks, we would have treated it differently. You just said something really key because one of the biggest challenges that I'm seeing and that the reason that I wrote the workbook that I did this year was because we get into echo chambers. So we're getting one source of information or two sources of information that match. And basically that's all we're getting. And so we're stuck in this echo chamber where of course what we are seeing or what we're thinking is true because it's corroborated. And so we're not critical thinking. Well, we are building identity in our beliefs and our thoughts. And when we're attached to those ideas as identity, then it feels like we have to change internally. And that dissonance, that world crumbling under us, within us, and around us, it's really difficult for some people to tackle. Well, let me just pick apart that for just a second. Because I'm going, if my world was crumbling around me and underneath me, that would be difficult. And no. when that's our perception of change, our language itself creates the reason we can't manage what we're going through. Because the language of this all crumbling, et cetera, is going to trigger a fight or flight or freeze or faint. It's going to trigger the stress chemicals in the brain. And yet that's the language we're taught to use. And it's the way we've been caught. You know, the idea that beliefs are not taught, they're caught. Emotional reactivity is not taught. It's something you catch. You ca it's caught from the family you're around, the culture you're around. And stress hardiness, stress resilience also it's comes- identity yeah. being shifted. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, identity being shifted. And so this is really important that we continue this because shift happens and our identities we think are kind of static, but it's that shift in identity that actually, if we, if we remember that we're just growing, it doesn't mean anything. It, we're just growing. And, well, you know, yeah, you're, you're talking about what I didn't know back then uh -huh. which was the be comfortable being uncomfortable, which was that sometimes 
there's discomfort and pain and stress and dissonance as you scramble to rewire your neurology to mm -hmm. cope with this new world that may have shifted or your internal world that is growing and shifting. Okay. Preventing that problem. What, so if someone is going through the playbook, okay, and, and they're actually working through that, what kinds of um, muscles are they building that will help prevent the problem? Because we're pretty much guaranteed that shift is going to happen. You know, yes. Yeah. I mean, change is now obvious and painful for a lot of people. My um, beat your drum, you know, my drum that I'm beating right now pretty heavily is this idea that we were caterpillars crawling on our branches, having our lives, eating our leaves. We have ended up in something called the COVID cocoon where things are shifting and they are changing. And the people who I am most concerned about are the ones who are totally focused on coming out of the cocoon the same way they went in. Mm. That's not the purpose of a cocoon. Caterpillars don't ever come out, ever. You know, butterflies come out. So this is, this is the drum I'm beating. If someone can just free themselves from the mindset of they're going to come out of this cocoon the same way they went in, then they become curious. They become open to the possibilities. What might this look like? But until then, the process is painful. Yeah. It's the, and look, we're gonna have pain right? Okay. There will be pain. There's going to be uncomfortableness. <laughs> uncomfortableness. There we go. All right. All right. I mean, from, from, shift, you know? yeah. um, and some of that just is what you're talking about, that going into the cocoon and just morphing into something else. So the I that I am now, we need to be comfortable with. That's not going to be the I that I'm going to be then. I'll be the same person with a different identity. I will see myself differently. Yeah. There, I have a phrase that I sometimes use, that there are aspects of ourselves that are written in ink and those that are written in pencil. So there are aspects of ourselves that are who we are. But very often we lock identity on things that are written in pencil. Well, and a lot of the things that we used to think we are who we are, we're not locked into those anymore either. You know, I mean, we talk about gender identity. That's no longer a locked in value. Yeah. There are so many that you, um, breadwinner identity, that used to be a locked in value in our family culturally. And it's not anymore. In my family, we're running, you know, we're leaning more over 50-50 as far as who's a breadwinner. And that's a mobile kind of sliding thing. It's not tipping one way or the other anymore in my family. Um, actually, that's not true. If it was tipping, it's tipping on the women being the breadwinners. And this is a shift that was just coming. I mean, it's not new in my family but it's new with the culture starting to get the fact that this identity shift. But that brings me to a point. 
that's an identity shift that started way before COVID. Yeah. And the fastest rising number of people attempting to take their own lives are males, specifically white males, Caucasians over the age of 40. Because of this identity shift challenge that the culture says you have to be this and the reality in your home might be that you're that. May I share a story with you? Oh, please. I love stories. Tell me a story. <laughs> so um, I was at a systems conference and I met this super cool professor from Siberia. And so you remember the whole perestroika thing, USSR collapses, um, then privatization kicks in, right? And that was hellish for the Russians. Mm. They could not understand when they were walking across a field, let's say a month ago, and that field belonged to the commons, mm -hmm. how now it was private property. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And that caused something like, what did they say? Five million head of households, male, to take their lives. Because that shift in their world, mm -hmm. this new world, was something that was so radically different, they couldn't understand it. They did not feel like they fit that world any longer, and nor did they believe that they could cope. It is the belief system. And that's what's so valuable about the playbook. That's what's so valuable about this conversation. What if you came into anything that life gave you with equal parts awareness, acceptance, and an attitude of action that says, I got this? So I've been working these 4A concepts for a long time, but now it is really critical that people start to understand that if you come into it with awareness, shift is happening, and an attitude of acceptance, you can even have an attitude that you are curious. You can control your attitude. Way cooler. <laughs> yeah, you know, the outcome could be way cooler. So the whole journey leads you into the ability to act. It actually gives you back control of your ability to respond and to do something with this new material, new shift. And that's the skill that I am most interested in having people become more and more aware of is this first, just get aware that shift is coming, accept that it's coming. Except that you're not going to have all the pieces. You're not going to know everything that's going on. Even if you would listen to the lumberjacks, you would not have known everything that was coming. You know, like, no. not your fault. There, exactly. There are things you cannot pre predict. Mm -hmm. You just can't. The world is going to change in weird and strange and wonderful and scary and interesting ways. So you self-monitor and you go, what is going on in this brain, body, chemistry, sack of connections and information and zapping and chemistry in here? <laughs> like, what, what was that feeling? What was that thought? <laughs> do I want to do that again? <laughs> and the path in the playbook will give you some place to stay grounded.
as you are working through change, know that now you have a path unfolding. Natasha, I cannot thank you enough for your gift, for everyone here, for your ability to share stories and take us on the journey with you, and for your willingness to play full out and just to be part of this community, part of the conversation, part of the movement to help people understand that they have the power to make it a great day. It is such an incredibly powerful, important conversation that you are having. It's courageous, it is generous, it is valuable. You are changing lives. It's an honor and a pleasure to be doing this and supporting you, Jackie. All right, I'm gonna ask you the question. What do you wish I had asked? Mm. You know, I don't know. <laughs> yes, I've been playing stump the speaker. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> um, you know, I just, look, I love our connection. I love having an organic conversation and seeing where it goes. I love the piece of brains sparking one another because in that sparking, you get that co-creation, you get that life, you get that joy, you get that pleasure. And I heard something the other day, which was joy is something that you can feel only when you're in relationship. Oh, isn't that interesting? So you have to be connected to another human for that experience of joy. And that's where the sparking happens. So, and I think we had that. So I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for playing. Natasha, thank you for everyone who is part of this journey. I just can't thank you enough. And yes, I know Scott's saying... If, if, in the chat, I'm getting pushback. If I can't think her enough, Scott will jump in and thank her. Yeah, Katie will jump in and think. All right, so we'll all jump in on the gratitude train. And we'll be... Oh, yeah. I have one thing. So guys, if you haven't upgraded to VIP, you want to upgrade to VIP because you will get the coolest stuff, the coolest recordings, the coolest gifts. And if you do upgrade to VIP, you will be able to take the assessment that we delivered with the military and I will get on a call with you and run through your playbook once you've completed it and your assessment results. So upgrade to VIP. <laughs> um, all right, so that one's oh, for me. There. <laughs> so, so the VIP upgrade is tspsshow.org. Natasha, you giving your time, helping people work through the playbook is such a precious gift. So. All right, now I can thank you enough and we'll be back. <laughs>